Amen. Praise the Lord. Loved ones, it's so good. I just, I hope I never get tired of saying that. It is just so good to be together, to hear your voices lifted up in praise and in worship and in prayer to our God. He's worthy. Amen, church? He's worthy. Praise the Lord. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, put your hand up. Our ushers are coming forward right now, and they want to put a Bible in your lap. And it is our, our text today is on page 532 in those Bibles being handed out, 532. Well, here we are continuing on in our series, our next message in our series on the book of Acts. The series is entitled, To the Ends of the Earth. And all right, church, quiz time, quiz time. Eyes up here. Here we go, ready? Eyes up. Who can tell me the main theme for the book of Acts? Say it together, ready? One, two, three. Boom! Well done, church. Yes. Witness is the main theme. Acts 1-1. All the way to Acts, the end of Acts 28, we see this theme of witness, and it comes right from here, the key verse in the book of Acts. Acts 1-8, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus commissioning his disciples. He says, but you will receive power to do what? To have a comfy life and live how you want to live. Everyone say, that's not what it says. Not what it says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to do what? What are we giving God's power for? To be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. That one verse outlines the entire book of Acts. Outlines it all. What is a witness? One who is unafraid to proclaim the person and work of Jesus Christ. One who is courageous. One who is willing to die for that truth because they are so convinced of it. Willing to give their lives for it so that others may live. A life of a faithful witness declares Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth more than my job. He's worth more than my family. Jesus is worth more than my reputation. Jesus is worth more than my status with my coworkers. Jesus is worth it. Is that your declaration tonight? See, here's the truth we need to see right from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that we've been unpacking by God's grace over the last four chapters in this beautiful book, is that if you are saved in Jesus Christ, that is, if you're a true Christian, not just speaking the words of the Bible with your mouth, but if you're actually saved, have repented of your sin and confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your calling right here to be a witness. That is the purpose of your life. God's glory through your witness. And there's two ways we're called to witness. Have you picked it up already? Number one, this is the one that the first four chapters so far focused on, on our lips declaring the gospel. On our lips. Witnessing on our lips declaring the gospel. But here's the other one we're called to be. A witness in our lives, demonstrating the gospel. So there's gospel declaration with our mouths. But then it has to be authenticated by gospel demonstration with our lives. People can smell a fake. Talk is cheap in this world today. Would you agree? Too many people saying one thing and doing another, living another way. It's gospel declaration and gospel demonstration. It's not one or the other. It's both. You can't be proclaiming one thing and living something else and be a faithful witness. Along with a bold declaration of the gospel, a faithful witness lives a lifestyle. Here it is. What's the lifestyle of the witness? Of increasing, ready, radical generosity. There's the demonstration we're to live with. Increasing radical generosity. Another word for radical generosity is Jesus generosity. Radical generosity is Jesus generosity through the gospel. Why? Big idea of our text today, you'll see it on the screen. Because Jesus, I think we can all agree on this if we understand the gospel properly, Jesus lived a life of radical generosity. Would you agree? 
completely radical generosity. And a faithful witness will increasingly do the same in his power. He is the one we are to represent. Living how he lived by his power at work in us. But here's the problem, and you see it right there from that big idea. We struggle to live increasingly radically generous, don't we? And it's a fight. Increasingly radically generous with our time, our talents, and our treasures. We struggle to give them joyfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. Like some of you even right now heard the title of tonight's message, and you're already cringing. You're already shuffling in your seats. Can we just get to Acts 5, please? Well, you don't really want to get to Acts 5, trust me. Some of you are already like, can we just get past these five verses? You're cringing. Because it call, here's what radical generosity does. Here's what the Jesus life does. Ready? It calls you out of your comfort zone. Big time. It calls us out of our materialistic comfort. It calls us out of our apathy. Radical generosity calls us out a life of self-indulgence. Radical generosity calls us out of the mindset that we'll just be giving when it's easy. Why do we do this? Why are we called to this? Because our default, loved ones, is selfishness, isn't it? That's our default. Me first. You've seen it in your life. I've seen it in mine. Me first. Selfishness, stinginess, what's in it for me? The whole mentality of the world. If I give to you, I deserve something from you. And I may not say that with my mouth, but man, my heart's keeping count. It's keeping count. I did all this. Where's this for you? Where's nothing coming back to me? Does that sound familiar? But I've poured out and I've poured out and I've poured out and nothing's come back. How's that different from the world? You wrestle with it, so do I, every day. From our parenting, to our spouses, to our coworkers, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I did this for you, so I should get a kickback. And the result is our level of generosity is more often determined by the world than by Jesus, isn't it? And we look just like the world. But here in this beautiful text, I just love this text. Here in this beautiful text today, we will see clearly the kind of radical generosity that Jesus calls his church to as an overflow, as a reflection of his radical generosity towards us. We can't outgive God when we look at this text and who's behind it. We cannot outgive God. And we see two vital truths we must embrace if we are to be faithful witnesses, a faithful church corporately. This isn't just individual, this is corporately as a church, living lives of radical generosity, not simply convenient generosity, radical generosity that sees his power favor and glory as he draws people to himself. You ready to go? Here we go. All right, at least we can squirm standing up now, okay? Acts 4, 32 to 37. Let's go and we'll honor the authority of God's word. Read this together. They had everything in common. Verse 32, let's read nice and loud, church. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Hear the word of the Lord. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, let's go, church. Let's get after this. 
First thing we see right here from verse 32. Get your pens out, get your notebooks out. This is so important. A witness that is radically generous for Jesus, number one, what do they do? You see it right in the text. They pursue unity in Jesus. A witness that is radically generous for Jesus pursues unity in Jesus. A generous witness is a unified witness. Question, are you pursuing unity? Are you pursuing unity in the church? A generous witness is a unified witness. Are you pursuing unity? Let's get our context. The believers have just faced their first opposition, their first persecution. Do you remember it? For preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. In, they get hauled before the Sanhedrin. Right? They get threatened with beatings, imprisonment, maybe even death. And in response, they go back to the church. And remember from Acts chapter 4, we see that they don't go and start praying for deliverance from the opposition, but for boldness to keep preaching regardless of the oppression. That's awesome. That's awesome. And what a blessing it was to hear from so many small group leaders this week of how God was using that message in your hearts to fire up our faith. Come on, let's go, Lord. Keep doing it. And in response the whole, to their prayers, the Holy Spirit comes and literally rocks the house they're in. Rocks the house. Rock, 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 rock the house. That's, that's the Holy Spirit right there. Teetering, tottering. There it is. And he fills them with his power and they continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And now, here's the overflow. 32 to 37. Luke takes a time out though. It's a little time out. He peels back the early church curtain again. And he gives us an intimate glimpse of what life inside the church is looking like now. And how their witness is impacting the culture around him. He moves us from the declaration of the gospel to now their demonstration of the gospel. All right? Look at verse 32. Go back to the text. Eyes in the book. Verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed. First off, here's the thing we need to see right from here. It says full number. Circle full number. This call, this life, the witness life, the radically generous life is not just for a few people in the church. It's the full number. I heard it described this way once. The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. It's all hands on deck. If you are part of the church of Jesus Christ, you are to have all hands on deck. It's not so many people just go do this and then I'll just benefit off their sacrificial giving. No, no, it's all hands on deck. The church is to be a battleship, not a cruise ship. The full number, did you see it? The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. See, the term one heart there, circle it, one heart and soul, that Greek term means they are united in the center the center of their being. They're united in mind. They're united in their character. They're united in their attitudes. Here we see that all the believers, at this point, roughly 10,000 plus, 10,000 plus were of one heart and soul united on mission, and they shared everything in common with one another. Talk about radical, huh? Sharing everything in common with one another. The gospel is uniting them. The message of Jesus and the life of Jesus is uniting them. Now, let's get some clarity. You say, does this mean that all Christians should be like, should we be thinking about buying some land and living in a commune, you know, kind of doing our own things? Loved ones, not, <laughs> you know, I've been asked about that. Can we do that? Uh, you know, listen, listen, listen. Let's go back to the text here. Go back to the text. It doesn't mean that all the believers lived in a commune where no one owned anything of their own. Okay, it doesn't mean that. Notice the text. They still own their own belongings. Verse 32. Notice. No one said that anything that belonged to him was his own. They still have their own possessions. They didn't live in a commune. Here it is. But they lived in community. That's the difference. They didn't live in a commune. They lived in community. Not some individualistic, I'll keep my faith to myself. I'll just do my Christian life as a, in a silo. They lived in community. As the Christian life is to be lived out. True community, gospel community, and they took care of one another. I love how one commentator put it. 
They had the same mind in that they understood what mattered most. Do you and I today? You understand what matters most? It's not you or me. They were utterly committed to the same gospel of the risen Christ. I love this. They were one in heart, meaning that a great spirit of love, oh, just picture this, just close your eyes and picture this. A great spirit of love permeated the church. It just permeated every person's heart. And from the overflow of that into each person's life. What we see here is a radical practice of sharing. Every member shares a common way of life. Now, now, hear this, hear this. It doesn't mean we necessarily prefer all the same kinds of foods. It doesn't mean we necessarily all prefer the same kinds of sports. Unity, all true unity, is not dependent on that. Right? True unity is gospel unity. So there's differences, and that's the beautiful mosaic of the body of Christ. When you have people from different tribes and tongues and nations and cultures and hobbies and habits, and yet united, the permeation of love in spite of it all. Welcome to a taste of heaven. Oh, man, your heart just long for that right here. And this church just long for that? It should. It should be. That's Christ's heart for his church. They share one another's burdens and joys. They share their time and they share their possessions without thought of return. No kickback mentality. Debtor's ethic mentality. Look at the world today. Is this normal? You say this is normal? Let's just be honest. Is this the generosity we see in the world? In fact, we see the exact opposite. We see consumeristic mentality, even consumeristic generosity. Go figure, it's like an oxymoron, isn't it? But consumeristic generosity, I'm going to give so I can get. It's not the church. That's not to be the church. You think the world would notice if we live this way, loved ones, in his power? See, this is the picture of the beautiful, unifying work of the gospel. As God's people are filled with the Spirit, they recognize this. Ready? This may be hard for some of us to hear. They recognize that all they have is God's and not theirs. All that you have, from the clothes you're wearing right now, to whatever's in your bank account, to whatever house you're going home to tonight, is not yours or mine. It is God's. And they pursue unity with one another, and God's blessing is on it. A unified witness is a generous witness. Question, are you pursuing unity? And you may look at 32, and you'll be like, what? Like, what, what do you mean? How, do, how does it tell us to pursue unity? Did you catch it? Three ways, right from the text. You see, it's so beautiful. It's so clear. Let's break it down. Are you pursuing unity, ready, through a reverence for God? Through a reverence for God. Look at 32 again. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Remember, that one heart and soul, what is it devoted to? In an increasing love and devotion to God over all. And then as an overflow of that, an increasing love and devotion to one another. They lived with a deepening fear of the Lord. That is a love for the Lord, an awe of God, an honor of God, prioritizing what God prioritizes, loving what he loves, avoiding what he doesn't. Look at Matthew 22. Is this not the great commandment? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, Lord, Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. There it is. A devotion to one another begins with a devotion, all-out devotion to the Lord. And then, then look what happens is the overflow. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the great commandment right in verse 32. Question, are you growing in your love for God first? This is where it all starts. We won't grow in our love for him, church, if we don't spend time with him. 
Is your Bible open every day? Sitting with the Lord, not giving him the leftovers, making him your first priority. It's where it all starts. Because you can't give what you don't have. You and I can't give the love of God to someone if we're not being filled with it every day. Are you pursuing a reverence for the Lord overall? Abiding in him in prayer, uncommon communion, extended times of worship. Not just check the box, I did my devos today. Lingering, lingering with him, waiting on him. That's where it starts. Secondly is this, unified in a reverence for him. But this, unified in a recognition of God. A recognition. Keep reading verse 32. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And here it is. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Well, whose are they? It's a recognition of God. None of them said that anything that they had, none of their time, none of their talents, none of their treasures was their own, but was God's. The permeating mindset of the church is to be all I have is his. All I have is his. If I'm blessed with a paycheck, it's because it's God's money that he's entrusting to me to use it how he wants me to use it. I don't just get to make my own agenda with it. It's all his. Everything I have. It was God's and was to be used for the good of others in the church. It's a recognition that all was from God and was to be used for the glory of God. And it takes us back to what Joel prayed earlier, you'll see it on the screen, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? It's talking about living with distinction and what God's entrusted to us. What, what do you have that you did not receive? I'll say it again. Loved ones, what do you have right now in your life that you did not receive from the Lord? Just try to find something. I challenge you. Because our flesh wants to try to find something. What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And say, I can just do what I want with it. It's mine. It's God's. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's God's. Would we agree that God is radically generous with us? God blesses us to be able to bless others in his name. God blesses us to be able to bless others in his name. And it, let me clarify something. You say, do we have to live with this poverty mentality? Let me just clarify here. This doesn't mean you can't ever spend money on yourself. Okay? Because God can be glorified in that too, if your motives are right. God can be glorified in that. God is glorified by meeting the needs of your family. God is glorified by you having a home, be able to open it up to people. God is glorified with that. Okay? So this isn't some poverty mentality. But let me ask you a question. Are you submitting all you have to God? Are you even asking him how he wants you to steward that? Or are we not giving him a second thought? Number three, we see this, unified in a reverence for God. Unified, pursuing unity through a recognition of God. And then this, unified in a responsibility before God. Look at verse 32, keep reading. Verse 32, go back to the text. Full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. See, when a brother or sister was in need, you know what that means? It means the church had the obligation to meet the need. When a brother or sister was in need, the church had the obligation to meet the need. And it's not one person in the church trying to meet all the needs. It's the community of the church. We have the responsibility to one another and before God to meet this. You say you got something to back that up? Well, yeah, verse 32, but if you're still not convinced, let's go over to 1 John. You'll see it on the screen. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. By this we know love, that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, 
And what's the response? Because of his radical generosity. Oh, it's right there. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, saying, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look out for numero uno. My brother's in need, but whatever. I've got the stuff to help him, but whatever. How does God's love abide in him? That's a convicting word. How can you say God's love abides in you when you're content to let your brother go in need? Little children, I love John's pastoral tone there. Let us not love in word and talk, saying, how many of us just say, love you, brother, but don't ask me to help you meet a need. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See that? In deed and truth. It's a question, are you meeting the needs around you? We have a responsibility with what God has entrusted to us, the gifts, the abilities, the time, the talents to meet one another's needs in the, in the, for the glory of his name. And it's not a, hey, it's not like this. This isn't honoring to the Lord. Okay, well, I've got some need. Well, I guess I better help my brother. I have to do that. No, 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 no. It's not a I have to responsibility. It's an I get to responsibility because it's a privilege that I don't deserve. Helping another in need is a privilege you and I don't deserve. And yet, God gives it freely to us. And if you're here, I want to talk specifically to those of you who are here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Or maybe you think you have, but you truly have not. Can I just say, clear out any doubt, you can't live this way without salvation in Jesus Christ and his power in you. It's impossible. Why? No Jesus, no unity. No Jesus, no power. No Jesus, no true example of radical generosity. See, here's why. God saw our need. He saw your need, he saw mine. He saw our need for a savior. You know what he did? He took initiative to meet the need. He sent his only son. He sent his only son, his perfect son. Talk about a life of radical generosity. Do you ever think what Jesus gave up to come to earth? Do we ever stop to think about this? We just say, yeah, he came down from heaven. Do you know what heaven's like? You know what heaven's like? He left perfect glory in perfect unity with his father. To come down, to take on flesh, to live in a broken world, knowing the hostility he would face. He left the glory of heaven where there are literally angels and seraphim around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is Lord. He left it to come to someone, to, to change the chant from holy, holy, holy to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Do we ever think what Jesus gave up to come for you and I? How could we ever claim that anything we have is ours? How could we ever say that his blood covering our sin on that cross allows me to live for myself? We can't. He gave everything and lived a perfect life and went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That was our problem. That was our need, a savior. And Jesus is like, I'm here. The question, will you repent of your sin and confess him as Lord? There is no power without it. He laid everything down for us. See, a witness that is radically generous for Jesus pursues unity in Jesus. Right there, reverence, recognition, responsibility. And through the unity that we have in Jesus, last point today, here it is, ready? Through the unity that we have in Jesus, a faithful witness practices generosity through Jesus. Here comes the power unleashed. Practices faithful generosity through Jesus. Let's get practical and we're gonna see its impact. God empowers the witness of the generous. 
It's in the image of his son. Of course he's going to bless it. God empowers the witness of the generous. Here's the question facing you and I today when we walk away from this. Will you give generously? Radically generously. See, in verses 33 to 37, we are now given a picture of the impact. Here it is. We saw the unity. We see the generosity. Now we see the impact, God's power through it. The blessing and power of Jesus, both within and through the church, through the unified hearts of his people, living generously towards one another. And we see four outcomes right here. Last four things we're going to tag in this sermon. Ready? We see four outcomes right here of radical Jesus generosity through the lives of his people. You ready to go? And we don't see this. And you say, you might say there, and I hope you're, you're even thinking this. Well, Acts is like, didn't you say lots of Acts because it's a historical narrative is not prescriptive. Maybe that's our little out now to get out of generosity. Isn't this prescript? You're, you're trying to be prescriptive all of a sudden. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Everyone say, that loophole's closed. Here it is. We see this not just in the book of Acts. It's all throughout the New Testament. Read Ephesians. Read Galatians. Read Philippians. You see it all over the place. Watch this. Four outcomes of radical Jesus generosity. Number one, God's power flows. God's power flows. Go back to 33. Oh, watch this. This is so good. And so here's the outflow of what's going on. The unity in Jesus Christ. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know the term great there? He says it twice in this verse. The Greek word there is megos. That's unhindered power. And with mega power, love it. With mega power, the, the disciples, the apostles, are giving their testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word power there is, remember, from Acts 1.8, dunamis. It's where we get our, Greek, our English word dynamite from. It means might and miraculous power or ability. It is literally being filled with the Holy Spirit and having the power and ability of God to perform in speaking his words, doing his deeds as his witnesses. And even though, did you notice this? Even though, back in Acts 4, the start of Acts 4, the apostles got warned not to preach the gospel, not to preach the death and resurrection of Jesus. Notice what he does through a unified church, reverent before him, unified in him, generous through him. Look what he does. He empowers them with a unified voice flowing from a unified heart, and the kingdom of God continues to advance through them in the power of God, gospel advancement. God's power flows through generosity. The gospel advances through radical generosity. A unified church. See, I love this. This this came to mind as I was thinking about this part. It says this, God extends his hand to the church that eagerly, not not kind of half-heartedly, I'll do this, I don't really feel like it, but eagerly extends their hearts and hands to him and one another. God extends his hand to that church. It says, that church has my power and blessing on it. That eagerly extend their time. That eagerly extend their hearts to him. Saying, more of you and less of me. Oh, he says, that's the image of my son. That's the church I bless. That's the family I bless. That's the life I bless. So we see first, four outcomes of Jesus' generosity. Radical. God's power flows. Secondly, we see this. God's favor is given. Go back to the text. God's favor is given. Look at, look at this, 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, oh, here's that word again. Great grace. Mega grace. Mega grace was upon them all. See, that term great grace there refers to God's favor and kindness. The grace of God is the favor of God extended to the church of God here. From both God, here's the other thing, and man. God's giving them favor not just from him, but with those that are around them. They were, the grace they were experiencing was not only coming from God, but was now coming from the non-believers. You see what God does? The sovereign Lord predisposes the hearts of the non-believers to be drawn in by the power of the Holy Spirit to this community of love. 
They will know we are Christians by our fighting, right? Say it. They'll know we are Christians by our... And you see it happening right here. The non-believers around them who saw this radical life, they're like, what is going on? And they experienced that firsthand and they saw the unified love and generosity and community that the church shared with one another. I love how one of my seminary profs, Dr. Moeller at Southern Seminary, he put it this way. I just, I just love this. He says, our great task is not to make evangelicalism credible. By having our, all our arguments lined up as to why, why it's true and all this stuff to win the debate and win the argument. He says, that's not our main goal, but it is to show the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. Oh, come on. To show the God, Dr. Moeller, well said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit right there. The gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. It's not through, try, it's not through trying to win arguments on social media. It's not going to draw people to the beauty of the gospel. It's to show, to demonstrate the life of a faithful witness that it's beautiful and irresistible to those in a world that see the opposite. And they're like, I want that. I want who they have. Great power, great grace. Thirdly, we see this. Four outcomes of radical Jesus generosity is this. Needs get met. Of course they do. Needs get met. Look at 34 to 35. Keep reading. By the way, before we do that, I love seeing your heads in the book, but is this not a beautiful text? This is just, just like my soul is just being so convicted and ministered to right now in this moment. I pray yours is as well. It says this. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The term needy there, there was not a needy person among them. The Greek there means poor and destitute. See, it emphasized needs, not wants. Some of you may be like, Hey, I'm in the church. Great, man. I want a car. I want like new clothes and I want to get money for my trip. And I want. Uh. It emphasized needs, the needy among them, the poor, the destitute. Needs, not wants. See, in response to the increasing needs in the church, all the believers, did you see that from the text? All of the believers, not just the apostles, not just now today, the paid staff, were willingly, eagerly selling their lands, selling their houses, their material possessions, and laying them at the apostles, their church leaders' feet, as they trusted them. They served in the fear of the Lord, and they trusted them to distribute those possessions faithfully and without partiality. It's not like the church leaders say, hey, I'm closer to this person. I'm going to give it to them. Uh-uh. They trusted them and laid them. It's like why we take up an offering today. They trust you to lay it down. You, because the apostles, they saw the needs of the church. They saw what was needed. They saw the benevolence that people needed care with. And they said, here we go. We're giving it to meet it. They ensured every need was filled. Not all give to this, but not that. The people of the church just willingly submitted it down and say, where's the need? So question. Let me ask us a question. What needs are around you that you can help fill? Right here in this church. What needs are around you? With your time and your talents. You know, small groups is a great opportunity for this. I've just been so blessed to hear and see the care of people in small groups this year. Through deaths, through births, celebrating engagements. Like this is, oh, <laughs> I was chuckling this morning in my office. This, I would, if I could get another name for Hope Ottawa, it would be Meal Train Church. <clears throat> like honestly, Hope Ottawa is Meal Train Church. It's like, I don't know how many times I'll call someone who's in a small group. I'll call someone and I'm like, Hey, so how can we care for you? Oh, yeah, we got a meal train already set up by this person. I'm like, 
Call an expert. How can we care for you? Oh, yeah, we've got a meal train. It's coming for the next two weeks. How can I care for you? Got a meal train. It's coming. Meal train church. It seriously is meal train church. I love it. I love it. It's so cool. It is so cool. But where are the needs, even in your small groups? How about this? On our service teams. You saw the needs on our service teams. You've got time and you've got talents. What's stopping you? It's right there. It's so clear. And we can fight it all we want, but it's so clear. As any had need, here it is. I'm just going to lay it out. Where, am I, where do I need? Where do you need me? How about in our treasures? Giving offering for increased opportunities for ministries for the gospel. The Lord is entrusting the ministry of this church and expanding it with church planting, leadership, counseling, training to help families, marriages, youth. How about right now, even in tax season? Have we given even a thought? Are we already thinking about the house rental? Are we just already thinking about the vacation? Sure, put some away for that. But are you even considering before the Lord, would you have me give to the church? Just to lay it down for the kingdom. The best return of investment you'll ever get. Is my heart set on kingdom treasure or earthly treasure? Think, loved ones, think about it. See, by God's grace to us, the needs in this church are only continuing to grow. What are the needs around you? See, four outcomes of radical Jesus generosity. Number one, God's power flows. Number two, God's favor is given in the church and with unbelievers. And number three, needs are met. And lastly is this, generosity is modeled. True generosity. Biblical generosity is modeled. Look at Barnabas in 36 to 37. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Isn't that amazing? The apostles called Barnabas. They're like, this guy encourages so many people with his life. We just have to name him after that. Son of encouragement. What a reputation. You want that encouragement? I want that reputation. The son of encouragement. Let's just call him that. That's amazing. Son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. It's an island just off the coast of Greece. Sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We'll see more about Barnabas in the coming chapters and why they chose to emphasize him here, starting in Acts 5. But notice this. Barnabas, a Jewish priest, Levite, from the island of Cyprus, who later became a leader in the church and a trusted associate of Paul on his missions trips, here, Luke uses him. What does he do? He specifically, out of 10,000 plus believers, he points out Barnabas as a role model, as an example for his generosity to the church. To give the other believers an example of what radical Jesus generosity in the church can look like. And you say, what does that look like today? And you know what? I got thinking about this to illustrate this. I could have gone on for pages, but I stopped at three quarters of a page. Today, Today, this church right here, Hope Ottawa, is absolutely filled with faithful, humble, generous, caring, growing, gracious, glorifying, giving, passionate, loving people that give their all. You give your all. For the glory of God, week in and week out. It's a missional mindset, not a comfort mindset, increasingly. You can't attend this church for long and be content just to sit in your chair. Here's, here's a little snapshot. Our setup and teardown team. Coming in early. For setup and staying after, for tear down long after many of you have gone home. Just laying it down. Here's another one our administration team, making sure the serving schedule is clear. Planning center doesn't do that itself. It can do a lot of things, but it doesn't do that itself, does it, Laura? Making sure that it's efficient, making sure that it's up to date for our team so they can serve with excellence. It's all behind the scenes. There's no thanks coming back a lot of the time for that. Here's another one. Welcome ministry. 
just being ready to welcome everyone who walks in that door. I'll never forget, we drove in and one of our parking team members, he just ran and it's like minus 500 outside. <laughs> and he just ran. He didn't, know, he didn't even know it was us, which blessed me even more. He drove in, he just a huge smile on his face, waved us in, pointed us right to that spot, just freezing cold. I get out and he's like, oh, Pastor Ray, welcome it's good to see you and I was just like in that moment that guy's showing me Jesus he's modeling Jesus generosity to me he's not sitting there being like huddled on the inside I'll get the next one running step one and two all of the organization and teaching that goes into that here's another one hope kids our workers and hope kids just studying hard studying hard in prayer and the word to teach those kids the gospel and learning the worship song. So when your kids come into Hope Kids, it's not a daycare. They're getting the gospel. They're having a worship service down there and they see a man or they see a woman who's been with Jesus and is ready to love them in his name. That's awesome. That is modeling Barnabas' generosity. That is an example. That is showing me Jesus. Hope Youth. Just did Hope Youth training today. We're in here at one o'clock, serving each Wednesday, serving at youth retreats. Do you know how late you stay up at youth retreats? You see the people with the biggest bags under their eyes. That's our Hope Youth team. <laughs> Love them. Serving on Wednesdays, retreats, training times, in addition to their other service roles and small groups. Just pouring out their lives. Filled up to pour out. That's Jesus. Pre-service child care. Pre-service child care. Comes in early to look after the children of our parent volunteers so their parents can prepare to serve on Saturdays. Did you know they come in early just to do that? It's only behind the scenes. Our worship team. I love you well our worship team just seeking the Lord and practicing throughout the week to ensure they're worshiping with excellence and making much of Jesus all of you thank you for showing us Jesus I know it's a lot AV production Comes in early on Saturday nights, Saturday afternoons, really. Spends time in the Word. I took a picture here. All our whole production team just crowded around, huddled in prayer. Their Bible's open. I'm not, I don't do that. I don't post these things on social media. Just a reminder. God at work. Sound checks, everything to ensure none of it's a distraction to us meeting with Jesus. Thank you. Production, thank you. Midweek prayer teams. Did you know there's prayer going on all week for this church? Like almost every day of the week. I think pretty much every day. Midweek prayer teams. Meeting for prayer throughout the week on Zoom. To pray for the services. Right here. To pray for youth ministry. To pray for the small groups. To pray for every one of the volunteers serving on the weekend. So that God would be glorified every time we meet. Did you know that goes on every single week? Going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think Thursday too. All behind the scenes. Small group leaders. It is a weight to lead a small group, but it is a tremendous joy. Shepherding God's people each week through prayer, counseling, support, and the ministry of the word. Thank you for showing us Jesus. And financial giving, Hope Ottawa. This year, I think, has been the greatest amount of financial giving this church has ever given in one of the hardest financial times in recent memory. Increasing generosity in tithes and offerings each week. Thank you. Thank you for laying it down so that Jesus could be lifted up. And the additional care, support, and encouragement. Just people opening their homes to one another. Opening their laundry facilities. Yeah, that's happened. Oh, your power's out? Bring your laundry over. 
You know, people changing other people's winter tires, just showing up in their driveway. Let's change those. You know, fixing cars, doing all this together. That's just like meal trains, babysitting. Thank you. Thank you, Hope. See, as one commentator said it, we'll close with this, I promise. He said it this way. He said, when God's grace is at work, ready? People get generous. When God's grace is at work, people get generous. And each of these men and women is a role model to me and to all of us of what practical acts of radical generosity look like in the life of the church. Thank you, church, for increasingly displaying Jesus to me in this world. God is using it and drawing people to himself through it. Because Jesus lived a life of radical generosity, right here, big idea, a faithful witness will increasingly do the same. As we pursue unity in Jesus and practice generosity through Jesus, God will empower the witness of the generous. Will you give generously? What's your next step? Needs are there. What's your next step? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. And it's so true. When God's grace is at work, people get generous. With great power, the word is declared, and great grace upon them all. Lord, I thank you for the men and women you've called to this church. I thank you for them laying increasingly down their lives for the glory of your name, for the expansion of your kingdom. I thank you for the increasing missional mindset that is taking root in this church. Lord, would you help us? We're so prone to wander from the life of radical generosity, prone to wander from the life of Jesus that we are called to represent and demonstrate. But God, would you bring us back when we are prone to wander? Would you renew a zeal and a fervency and say, Lord, how can I lay down? Not because I just have to, but because I get to. It is a privilege I don't deserve. You own it all. Lead on, Lord, and draw many to yourself. In Jesus' name, may the, may the saving love of Christ, the radical generosity of Christ, be the measure of our lives as increasingly you are all to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, will you stand and let's respond in faith.